Hey, I know what some of you might be thinking just from reading the title of this video. But the truth is, I love this game. On a whim one day I decided to pop in Sonic Riders out of sheer curiosity, and not too long after I started playing, I had a wonderful realization. This game is really damn fun! But how could a game that received such a lukewarm reception upon release have captivated me over a decade later? Why were people turned off of this game, and what hidden genius is beneath the rough exterior? Well, upon spending a dozen or so hours revisiting the game, I think I've come to a solid conclusion about the game itself, and why it didn't exactly wow everyone when it came out. I'm Liam Triforce, and I welcome you to join me in exploring the mechanical genius of Sonic Riders, and why that genius wasn't apparent to everyone that played it. Let's get into the meat of the game first and foremost. I'm going to explain and sometimes critique the intricacies of Sonic Riders' mechanics. Keep in mind, all of these things can come into play in a single race. Let's begin. Each character has one of four stat differences and the game unfortunately doesn't clarify what they mean. I had to get my descriptions from the instruction manual. Dash is your acceleration, limit is your top speed, power is for off-road performance, and cornering is pretty self-explanatory. Even still, they couldn't attempt to make things clear with one word? Cornering is obvious, but I thought dash meant how well a character can boost, and I thought limit meant how much air is in your board's tank. It's pretty bad. And let that be a bit of foreshadowing for this game's critical issues. Anyway, speaking of characters... Taking a cue from Sonic Heroes, there are three types of characters in this game. Speed, Flight, and Power. Speed allows you to grind along rails, Flight allows you to fly through designated rings, and Power lets you smash through objects. Utilizing all three of these skills will replenish your air. While speed types have the best top speed and power types have great off-road performance, flight types lag behind, at least in stats. Tails has a slight cornering difference, but aside from him, flight character stats don't compare to the other racers. The best chance you have at catching up is getting better at manipulating your speed and trajectory in flight segments. That's not to say you shouldn't use flight characters, though. Certain stages are optimized for flight characters, like Green Cave. This ramp allows the player to completely coast through the vine section's twists and turns, taking them to a completely different and quicker scripted sequence. Type differences aren't the only thing that let you customize your experience though. Let's look at Extreme Gear. The gear you choose can either benefit or bottleneck the character. Each gear has its own stats, and the ideal strategy is to pick gear that complements the areas your character is weakest in, or one that perfectly complements their stats. Conversely, you don't want to focus on one area too much, otherwise you'll severely hamper your performance in other areas. It's all about balancing. Some of them also have adverse effects, like increased or decreased air consumption when boosting, for example. Speaking of which... This is the primary mechanic that Sonic Riders revolves around. You could substitute air with fuel and you'd immediately understand the concept. However, the uniqueness of the concept comes from the multitude of ways air is used. Let's take a look. Firstly, there's the way the game handles air consumption. Everything you do in this game requires air. The longer you drift or charge a jump, the more air you burn. You burn a good chunk of air if you decide to halt people tailing you with a tornado. Boosting gives you a massive burst of speed, however, it's the most costly out of every technique when it comes to air consumption. Now, this might seem overwhelming, but the game makes sure to provide you with plenty of ways to regenerate air. For starters, if you ever run out of air and you end up running on foot, you'll have the option to go to a pit stop and replenish it all. But that shouldn't be your first choice, especially Especially as you level up and gain a larger air tank. It'll take a long time at higher levels and you'll begin to fall behind. 
So the other option, and the most strategically viable one, is riding turbulence created by other players. The faster they're going, the larger the turbulence will be. Don't ask me how this is physically possible, but you can perform tricks while tailing other players on their turbulence, and in doing so you'll regenerate air. Not only is this a good tactic at keeping up with other players even in the most dire situations, but it also nets you more air and allows you to practice landing tricks. Which reminds me, remember how I mentioned charging a jump burns air? Well if you charge it for just the right amount of time, you'll have more maneuverability in the air when going off a ramp, allowing you to perform an insane amount of flips and tricks with the analog stick. These aren't just for show however, the more tricks you do and the better your landing, the better your ranking will be, thus resulting in you regaining more air. You can also cancel any air you lose from a boost if you smack into another racer while using one. This can also net you rings which are crucial for leveling up during a race. Rings are scattered throughout tracks and can also be found in capsules, along with slight air regenerators. After 30 rings you'll go to level 2 and after 60, you'll max out at level 3. While this does increase your air tank and give you more leniency when it comes to using techniques, it also slightly increases your stats per each level you gain. Your off-roading increases at level 2, and both your top speed and acceleration increase at level 3. This also allows you to carry out unique boosting maneuvers. For example, Sonic uses his spin dash starting at level 2, and if you line yourself up right, you can plow through enemies in your way. And finally, amongst all of this, each track has at least one scripted sequence in which every racer can replenish their air by spinning the analog stick, but it's up to you to keep your air meter in check. All of this makes the air system tremendously flexible. With enough practice, I was able to do everything I could to replenish air, while simultaneously going as fast as I could. All of the air replenishing systems feel like minigames you have to master to get the most out of a race. For example, I found myself getting better at landing tricks so I could not only get a bigger burst of speed when I land, but also so I could regain more air. I was further optimizing my routes through tracks, my character and gear setups, and my overall performance in a race. Even from little things like timing my startup just right, I was improving. I would back up to just the right spot and start running at just the right time to clear the goal without being inhibited, getting a head start on the competition. And if someone passed me, I would boost straight into them and make sure no one was on my tail. All of this came from understanding and practicing each tiny mechanic the game threw at me. But how do all of these mechanics reflect on the playgrounds the game puts you in? Let's take a look at this game's level design. The mechanically rich gameplay often takes the forefront in Sonic Riders, not leaving too much room for flexibility in the stages. However, the initial selection of stages available managed to stay extremely varied and fun. Metal City is perhaps the most straightforward, with linear paths and a loop to avoid stressing the player out too much. It's a great introduction to turbulence in that regard, since players can only go so fast in a constricted space. In addition to all that, cars are laid out plain as day for power types, and there's only one ramp for flying types. There's only one hard turn to perfect in the race, and the ramps aren't very punishing if you're still getting used to performing tricks. I guess the one oddity with it is that speed types get two rails, one that isn't a challenge to grind along, and another that requires nailing an extremely precise landing to use optimally. The risk versus reward of that one rail doesn't seem worth it when boosting grants you the same result. It seems strange to include a rail like that so early on, but I'll let it slide. Splash Canyon is also quite easy to grasp, however it introduces the intricacies of the flight characters. They have so much freedom when going through their designated routes and can bypass certain parts of a level if you know how to steer them in the air well enough. Egg Factory does the same for power characters with the amount of projectiles to smash up. There's not really much to say about it otherwise though. Past this point, the game throws new ideas into the mix. Green Cave's twists and turns are especially tricky for speed and power characters, even with their shortcuts. However, flight characters have the advantage of being able to maneuver around major portions of the level. It's a great change of pace due to its tight corners and tricky shortcuts for each character. 
Sand Ruins is less difficult, but not any less fun than the previous maps. There are multiple paths to take based on how much air you have left, and it has the most unique air regen event in the game. Most of the time, spinning the analog stick as fast as you can will only determine how fast you get your air back. In this part here though, the faster you spin, the faster the string on the bow pulls back. This also determines how far you'll launch. It's neat. Babylon Garden is a great test of everything you've learned up to that point. All turns now force you to drift sharply, as there aren't any guardrails on most of them. Shortcuts are much trickier to pull off, and the level does everything it can to make catching up to your opponents difficult. After this, the unlockable levels come into play. Digital Dimension is rather lackluster and lays out shortcuts in very mindless ways. It has a cool motif, but it's not well thought out. Neither are the levels they cloned. Okay, well, maybe that's an extreme critique. White Cave and Dark Desert feel like entirely separate levels from Green Cave and Sand Ruin respectively, thanks to their constricted areas and tight shortcuts, but the rest of them are rather throwaway. If you were to show me Babylon Garden and Sky Road next to each other, I honestly wouldn't be able to tell them apart. They don't do enough to keep each level fresh. Ice Factory is easily the worst level in the game. Not just due to its uninspired track design, but also due to the fucking ice patches. Why does ice make a hoverboard slip around? It doesn't have wheels! The Sega crossover levels are often cited as the best levels in the game, and I concur. They're so full of life, and each segment has unique elements to speed the player up when they're lagging behind. The individual challenges presented that also happen to be based on other Sega franchises are brilliant. They're a joy to experience. Not a fan of the dynamically changing music though, it's really annoying. Everything I've discussed is a lot to digest, I understand, but trust me when I say that all of this makes Sonic Riders one of the most complex yet enjoyable racing games on the market. No other racing game has made me feel like I'm playing a handful of other minigames within it. Managing everything while trying to optimize how I play the game is a wonderful experience. And the game also provides you with different exciting ways to play. The tag team mode is brilliant. While it lacks the shortcuts that the different types provide, it focuses on communication and synergy between you and your teammate to maximize speed and air regeneration. You have to coordinate when you're going to boost, drift, and use any amount of air, all while trying to keep up with each other. It's an incredible way to rethink the conventions of the game for four players. There's also the race for the Chaos Emerald, a mode that constantly forces players to go as fast as possible, optimizing their route in order to keep up with the player with the Emerald. But once you have the Emerald, you need to be careful. Keep going through rings, maintain your air, and make sure no one catches up with you. There's also a battle mode, but it kind of sucks, I don't give a fuck. All you need to know is that not only is the game well crafted, but it's also a one-of-a-kind racing game that always knows how to keep things fresh. Yeah, you're probably even more confused by the title now. This game seems awesome. So, what happened? Why didn't the game catch on? Well, a number of things caused this. For starters, remember how I mentioned all of the mechanics of Sonic Riders are put into play in a single race? Well, that's just it. That's the main problem with Sonic Riders. There's too much to process, and it makes no effort to teach the player what the hell is going on. When someone first pops the game in, the most that is communicated to the player is how you boost, and how leveling up works. Maybe the occasional blip on screen, but that's it. Let's take a look at Metal City, the very first level, to see why this disconnect is such a problem. Startup makes no sense to the player until they crash into the gate by attempting to start early. The game then makes no effort to tell the player, hey, you can charge your jumps for better tricks. Instead, they just go off of the ramp and perform very slow tricks by fiddling with the control stick out of confusion. Then the player comes to a turn in which there really should be a notification that said they should drift. 
but instead they'll hit a wall trying to make the turn. Also, you see that rail there? The game makes no effort to show you how they work. Same goes for the flight ramps. That little blip on the screen is about as useful as dangling an instruction manual for an escape pod in front of someone, as they have 5 seconds before they're thrown out into space. It may work like any other flying game, but what the hell do you think this will mean to a new player? When I first played the game, I thought I had to flick the stick up and down repeatedly to keep me afloat. I mean, I was spinning the control stick in that scripted sequence before, I have no reason not to think something like this. Needless to say, I'd plummet to the ground. At least figuring out the power type path is easy, all you have to do is smack into the train. Now the game decides to show you how to drift. But what it doesn't communicate in this situation is that you have to be going fast enough for it to even work. Otherwise, you'll break. Wash, rinse, repeat for the next two laps with the added frustration of the player not knowing how to use turbulence until trial and error occurs. And then there's running out of air due to confusion and getting caught in pit stops. The other thing about turbulence that isn't communicated at all is how to get out of it. I can't tell you how many fucking times I got caught in someone's turbulence when trying to go on a rail. All you have to do is break. But it's so finicky to even attempt that because it might cost you your speed and your momentum. When you hear complaints regarding the controls, they're not referring to inputs being unreliable or clunky. Because that's not the case. The game's controls are just fine. The actual problem is the lack of teaching tools on how to perform specific tasks. The game doesn't make it clear that drifting in Sonic Riders doesn't work like Mario Kart, for example. You can't build certain levels of speed boosts up the longer you drift. Instead, it's a set speed boost after you drift for a certain period of time. Drifting instead burns air the longer you do it. This is but one example of inputs that aren't clear. And I hope I've gotten that point across. It's frustration by lack of communication. The game does have a tutorial video, but it's tucked away into the extras menu, something the player might not stumble upon until much later, if at all. While it doesn't cover everything the player needs to know, it works. It's unfortunate that it might not ever be seen on someone's initial attempt at the game, but that brings us back to our main dilemma. Video games have always taught the player through practical implementation. Sonic Riders offers no solution up front, like a normal video game should, and you can't deny that they missed the opportunity to do so. That's why I think it fails. This is where I thought the story mode could actively teach the player how to play through brief tutorial segments. Nope! The most the player will learn about how the game works is relegated to a video in the extras menu that they may or may not find. While the story mode does follow a nice gradual level progression that I've already touched upon, and you can retry levels endlessly without worrying about the consequences, the story mode is a joke. While admittedly this doesn't have anything to do with the video, the plot is so poorly written that I have to talk about it. Sonic and friends run into a group of birds that make him mad because they're faster than him on floating witchcraft boards. The next day, Dr. Eggman appears on screen to tell everyone of a race. Not just a race, but a special race to see who's the fastest! You mean, like a race. The entry fee is one Chaos Emerald. Sonic ignores all warnings from everyone around him and gives Eggman a Chaos Emerald to compete because he fucking hates those birds. Is Sonic really that dense? How in the fuck does he not see anything wrong here? Yeah, but what exactly is Eggman really at? Ah, oh, it can't be anything too important. Sonic, I want to strangle you. It's too bad you don't have a neck. The birds compete in the race until they discover that Eggman crossed them, and wants the treasure of Babylon all to himself. This happens before the final race occurs, but they still decide to compete in the race anyway, and complete Eggman's plan. I guess they just really wanted to get into the Babylon Garden, even though they probably could have just confronted Eggman and stopped him early. I don't know, this game's story is awful. I just wanted to discuss it because I find the reasoning and motivation of each character so poorly justified. 
It's hilarious. Anyway, tangent aside, let's say you put a good amount of effort into learning how this game works. How does the game reward learning? Well, it goes without saying at this point that Sonic Riders can be an absolutely enthralling experience. The feeling of getting better at the nuances in its mechanics is great. When you can figure out how to do so, that is. However, outside of the story mode taking you through each track in the game, there's the World Grand Prix. This is meant to push your knowledge and skills in each track to the limit, because if you get first place in each race, you unlock one Sega crossover level for each pre you clear. A neat bonus. The only other plentiful single player mode is the mission mode, and it is complete ass. Do not bother with this mode. The missions are not only repetitive, but they continue to repeat them throughout each track. The mode will exhaust any passion for this game you may have left, and I don't think either of us wants that to happen. The unfortunate part is that it's the only way to unlock the rest of the characters. There aren't any cheat codes to get some quick matches set up, for example. You know, a feature that almost every game should have. To be fair, even Smash Brothers lacks this feature, it's just inconvenient when you're having a get together, and you're suddenly disappointed when realizing you don't have every character in Melee or something. It's a shame that these characters are locked behind such an awful mode. You're missing out on characters like Oolala from Space Channel 5 and my boy Ai Ai from Super Monkey Ball. If you get gold medals in each mission, you'll actually unlock Super Sonic, and I'm sure that would have some people enforce some house rules banning him. Now aside from that, you're pretty much boned. There's not much content in Sonic Riders worth checking out. The longevity of this game depends on whether or not you have friends that like it as much as you do. Yes, this game has a lot to do multiplayer-wise, and the plethora of ways to play provide hours of fun for your friends. But like I said, that all hinges on their ability to adapt to the game, and that frustrates me to no end. This might have been a long shot, but this game really would have benefited from an online multiplayer mode. I mean, think about it. Having the opportunity to play with other people around the world that actually know how to play the game? Playing the alternate modes, leaderboards, tournaments, what have you? If only. It might have been financially feasible for Sega, I mean just look how lucrative Sonic was in the mid-2000s. Games were coming out left and right. Surely they could have afforded the servers. Unfortunately, that takes time and effort to get working and optimize. There's no such thing as an add multiplayer button in game development. Sonic Riders was definitely an experiment that I don't think Sega wanted to risk spending too much time and money on. And that's a damn shame, because that would have been the game's best chance at attracting a dedicated community. Outside of that, if you end up loving Sonic Riders, it's up to you what you decide to do with that passion. Sonic Riders is a brilliant but conflicted game. I love it for its mechanical richness, and the sheer amount going on in a single race is an unprecedented feat. The game is incredibly unique, but the fatal flaw with it is that it doesn't teach the player how to adapt to its mechanics. Its mechanics inhibit learning because they aren't effectively taught or conveyed. I love this game, I really do, but I know I only love it because I've learned how to play it through studying and practice. Games shouldn't be a project for the consumer, they should be fun, they should be pick up and play. And even if games take a while to set up and play, they should be easy to understand after a short period of time. Even 12 years later, I'm still learning things about Sonic Riders. That's how mechanically rich it is, but also how terrible it is at teaching the player how it works. Every time I attempt to show this game to my friends, no matter how hard I try to convey every mechanic to them, they fail to understand how to get better at the game. And that's because it's impossible to do so without immense practice. This game has more than a learning curve. It's a brick wall that the player has to find a way to climb. That's inexcusable. I want to recommend this game, but I find it so hard to do so based on its frankly inept design philosophy. When communication between the game and the player is non-existent, and the only way to even remotely grasp how the game works is to watch a shallow tutorial video, the player has likely already turned off the game out of frustration. You can't learn if you can't learn. That's the message here, right? I've been Liam Triforce, and I'd like to thank you for watching.